If you have your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter, uh, pardon me, uh, Romans chapter 5 tonight. Romans chapter 4, I should say. Vamos a ir esta noche a Romanos, el capítulo 4. And we're going to be continuing our study on the life of Abraham. Tonight I want us to read about the faith of Abraham. Esta noche vamos a hablar, continuando sobre la vida de Abraham, hablando de la fe de Abraham. And tonight there are five factors of Abraham's faith that I want to share with you. Hay cinco factores aquí de la fe de Abraham que quiero compartir con nosotros. And so we're going to begin reading at verse 16 of Romans chapter 4. Vamos a comenzar en Romanos capítulo 4, el verso 16. It reads, for this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. For it is written... A father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives, to li gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was a hundred years old, and the descendant and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was also certified to him as righteousness. Not, now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who has delivered over because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you tonight for the grace of your precious presence among us. What a mighty visitation of your spirit we have when we come into your house, and so we thank you. We pray tonight that you would fill our hearts with your word, and that your word would build our faith. Our faith would be seen in the way that we live our life and bring glory to Christ. We ask you tonight to anoint my lips of clay and to anoint this hearing of this congregation that together we might be able to take from this truth Lord, that which you would speak to our hearts individually. We ask that in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. I want to speak about the faith of Abraham. The Bible calls Abraham the father of faith. And so when we talk about faith, it's really an incomplete study if you don't study the life of Abraham. Now, we have been looking at his life as it goes chronologically, and I'm kind of going to break right in the middle of that as I want to share with you what it was that motivated and, and propelled Abraham 
into the um, place of becoming the father of faith. Esta noche seguimos nuestro estudio sobre Abraham y estamos hablando sobre la fe de Abraham porque la Biblia lo llama a él como el padre de la fe. De tal manera que si usted y yo no uh, estudiamos a Abraham en el, el relatado a la fe, no estamos haciendo un estudio completo porque es necesario a ver cómo él fue uh, un hombre de fe y, y, y uh, hacer también lo mismo nosotros. So I want us to be able to uh, do the same things that Abraham did in order to receive the same outcomes that Abraham received. And so tonight we're going to go back into Genesis, but I want you to keep your place in Romans because we're going to come back to that in just a moment. And I want you to uh, read with me what it was that God said he was going to do in the life of Abraham. Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 12, vamos a regresar un, un ratitito nomás a Genesis uh, y luego a Romanos. Romans, uh, pardon, Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to start at verse 1. Uh, Genesis capítulo 12 y el verso 1. And I want you to, if you, if you like to mark your Bible, I want you to mark some things with me. If you don't like to mark your Bible, I understand, so I just want you to take some notes, all right? Either way, I want you to make mark of this in, in your uh, Bible or in your notes, all right? Some people think it's a sin to mark your Bible. I don't particularly believe that. If you look at my Bible, there's marks everywhere, okay? So uh, you're not going to lose your salvation if you mark in your Bible, I don't think, but... Um, the, the reason people think that is because the Bible says not to add anything to it or take anything from it. And when you mark your Bible, you're not doing that. So I'm going to give you a pass on that because that's the same way I feel about it. But here's what I want you to notice is that uh, we're going to read chapter 12, not the whole chapter, but just portions of chapter 12, chapter 15, and chapter 17. Are you with me? All right. Now, the Lord said to Abram, what did he tell him? He said, go. Everybody say go. All right, I want you to circle the word go, because that word is the operative word in the text. That's the word that is the command. En el capítulo 12, verso 1 de Génesis, vemos que el Señor le dice a Abraham, ve. Y esa palabra la vamos a marcar porque indica una, una encomienda que Dios le da a Abraham. Now, what I want you to notice from there is that God gives him a command, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now, I want you to underline every time we read the word I will, okay? Are you with me? Ready, verse 2. And I will make you a great nation. So just underline I will. And I will bless you and make your name great so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All right, how many I wills did you get there? Some of you got three, some of you got four. All right, there's four of them there. Ahí vamos a ver en el verso dos, cuatro veces donde Dios dice, yo haré esto. Y él dice, te, te haré gran nación. Te bendeciré, bendeciré a los que te bendigan y maldeciré a los que te maldigan. So, how many things did you circle in that passage? 
How many things did we circle? One. We circled go, right? And how many things did you underline? Four. Okay, notice that. One, four. One command, four promises. Say, God is good. Notice that. He tells Abraham to do one thing. What does he tell him? Go. If you go, I will do these four things. I will, I will, I will, I will. Now, in the Bible, that's called the indicative and the imperative, okay? The imperative is God's requirement. You know God requires things? Yeah. And then the indicative is God's promise. Listen, God's requirements, the Bible says, are not difficult. We make them seem difficult. But the word of God is not difficult. He gives Abraham one requirement, but this is the reason why God's requirements are not difficult, is because with every requirement, God gives power. All right? With every requirement, with every imperative, God gives an indicative. And in the indicative is power. I'll give you an example. In the Gospels, Jesus says these words, which you guys are familiar with. He says, go, there's that word again, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And then he gives them the indicative. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I want you to notice the, the command is go. The promise is I will be going with you. And because I'm going with you, then you can preach to all the nations and you can baptize them and they're going to come to know the power of the gospel. So we have that same pattern here and all throughout scripture. Whenever you read a go or a, a, a command, there is always with it a promise. Here's what we do though. We read the promise and we don't worry about the command. We love the promises of God, don't we? I do too. I preach the promises of God. But we can't have the promise of God without the imperative. Without what it is that goes with that promise. Lo que hacemos muchas veces es que queremos la promesa, pero no queremos la encomienda o el, el mandato de Dios que viene con esa promesa a nuestra vida. Now, Abraham's whole life is based on a promise. And we just read four of them here. I will bless you. I will make you a blessing. I will make your name great. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Now go to Genesis. All right, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. Ahora Genesis el capítulo 15 y el verso 1. Look at what we read here. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you, and your reward shall be great. There it is again. What's the command? All right, let's circle that. What we're doing is we're circling commands, and we're underlining promises. All right, just give you a little technique there. So what's the command? Do not fear. Everybody say it with me. Do not fear. What's the promise? Here's the promise. What did he say? I am a shield to you. I'm going to protect you. Now, why would a man in his 90s need to hear God tell him, don't be afraid? 
Well, because in that world, uh, when you picked a fight with somebody, they retaliated, and then you retaliated for their retaliation, and then they retaliated for your retaliation of their retaliation, and this went on for generations. All right, and if you read chapter 14, you remember that Abram just came out of a battle with five kings. So in his mind, he might be thinking, I'm going to be dealing with the retaliation of five kings, and not only me, but my children and my children and my children's children are going to be going back and forth, back and forth with the retaliation of these same uh, uh, nations. Well, God is telling him, Abram, don't fear the retaliation of those nations. Because I am your protector. I am your shield. That's a word for somebody tonight. Because you might feel like you are exposed. But friend, if you are on God's side, God says, I am your shield. And then that's, that's one. So underline that. Then the second promise is, and your reward will be very great. I am going to reward you. I am going to uh, exceedingly and abundantly bless you. And then in verse 5 we read, And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. So underline that right there. So shall your descendants be. That's the third promise in the text. So we notice then that God gives him a command and then he gives him a promise after promise after promise. En el capítulo 15, el Señor le dice a Abraham, no temas, ahí está el mandamiento. Luego le da tres promesas. La primera es, yo seré tu escudo. Número dos, él dice, yo seré tu galardón grande. Y luego en el verso 5 le dice, y así como los estrellas, las estrellas así serán tus Descendientes. Say it again. God is good. Now go to chapter 17. Ahora vamos al capítulo 17. Now what am I doing? I'm kind of doing a real quick survey of God's promises on the life of Abram. Because I want you to know how God works. We started out talking about Abram understanding God's ways. So I want you to know God's ways. Estamos haciendo un repase aquí. Ahora vamos al capítulo 17. El repase es de las promesas de Dios a Abraham. Now let me ask you a question. Do any of you have three chapters worth of a journal or a notebook or a piece of paper somewhere in your house that documents the promises of God over your life? If you don't, you need to go home tonight and start writing these things down. Everything God has promised to you, write it down somewhere. Say amen, somebody. And, be, and if you haven't done that, uh, I want you to, and if you have done it, then you know why I'm encouraging you to do this. Because it's an amazing thing when you can go back and you can read in your own writing what you asked God for and what God promised you and see it fulfilled in your life. And you can look at that and say, God is indeed good. So I want you to make that a, a pattern in your life because it's a pattern in the scripture. God, when he gave a promise, he had it written down. So that you and I could go back, and that's what we're doing right now. We're looking through the file of Abraham's life, and we're seeing God's promises over his life. Now, we're in chapter 17 of Genesis, and it says, Now, when Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me 
and be blameless. All right, what are we going to do with that? Circle that real quick. What is the command? Walk before me and be blameless. And here we go again. There it is. I will, underline that, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. How many of you know that you're in covenant with God? That means God keeps his word to, your, to you and to your family. And then he says, um, and I will multiply you exceedingly. How many of you would like God to multiply you? The amens are weak tonight, I think. How many of you would like God to multiply you? Okay, let's look at it this way. If, if you have, if you have uh, some money in your bank account and you want God to add to it, that means you had, you had $1,000, God adds $100. Glory to God. That's, that's abundance right there, right? But that's not multiplication. That's addition. God's not an adder. God is a multiplier. So then multiplication means that if you take what you have times two, now that's not, not $1,100. Now it's $2,000. You see how God works? Say God is good. So let me ask you again. How many of you would like God to multiply you? So if you have 100 cows, you could have... 200 cows, there you go, 1,000 cows, yeah. That's what we're talking about. God is a multiplier. He tells Abraham, I am going to multiply you exceedingly, which I think means beyond times two. He's probably talking about a hundredfold. So there's a promise there. And Abraham fell on his face and talked with God saying, listen, this is such, a, uh, such an amazing human prayer right here. You think Abraham's about to tear it up, right? He's about to worship the Lord. He just fell on his face. Listen to his words. As for me, behold my covenant uh, with you, and you will be a father of multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of of a multitude of nations and I will make you exceedingly fruitful and make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. All right, did you get all of those things? He said, I will make my covenant with you. I will make you the father of many nations. I'm going to change your name. That means I'm going to give you a new identity. How many of you need a new identity? And I will and he said, I have made you a, a father of multitude of nations. You will be exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendant after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. How many of you need God to be God in your life? But how many of you need God to be God in your children's lives? That needs a two amen right there. That's an amen, amen, pastor. I need God to be God in my kids' lives. Well, God gave that promise to Abram. I will give you and your descendants after you the land of your sojourn, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be your God. Your pen should just be underlining stuff all over the place. And every male among you 
All right, so that's the beginning of the covenant of circumcision. What I want you to see here then is three portions of Scripture where God gave promise after promise after promise to Abram. Now what, what, what I want us to see here then is how did Abram walk in these promises? How did he possess them? Because it's not just about having the promise, is it? It's about possessing the promise. How many of you need to possess the promise? And how many of you are ready to, to possess it? Because you've been talking about it for a long time. You're ready to possess the promise. Well, there are some things that we need to learn from the life of Abram so that we can walk in these promises. First thing I want you to notice, this is before I even get to the five factors of faith, is this, that the Bible says that the moment God said go and Abram took the first step, from that moment on, he was justified by God. That moment of faith was enough for the fulfillment of everything that Abram had received from God. And what the Bible tells us in the book of Romans is then this, as a conclusion, that when you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, from that moment on, God justified you for the rest of your life. So that now you can walk as a child of God. Listen, if you have not taken that step of faith in Christ and you sang tonight, I am a child of God, I'm sorry, but you're not. Only those who have taken a step of faith and said, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the Son of God. He died on the cross for my sins and he rose again from the dead. Those, those people who have made that confession of faith are now able to say, I am a child of God. Of God, And this is what Jesus, uh, what the book of Galatians tells us furthermore, is that if we are children of God, then we are heirs of Abraham. And all the promises of God on Abraham belong to us. So I just read three chapters worth of promises that belong to you and I because we are in Christ. All right. Now, the question then becomes, how do we obtain them? Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 17, pardon, chapter 4, verse 17. Vamos a regresar ahora a Romanos capítulo 4, verso 17. Lo que estamos viendo es que dice la Escritura que el momento que Abraham le creyó a Dios, en ese momento fue justificado. De la misma manera que usted y yo cuando creemos, somos justificados. Y si somos justificados, entonces las promesas de Dios sobre Abraham están sobre nosotros. Ahora el tema es cómo poder actualizar esas promesas en nuestra vida. Well, here's the, the first factor of faith is in verse 17. All right. It, it says right there, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. I want you to notice in verse 17 where Abram's faith rests. This is the first factor of faith. Is Answer this question. Where does Abraham's faith rest? When you read this verse, we understand that Abraham's faith is resting on the God whom he believed. All right, so that's the first factor of faith, is knowing the God in whom you have believed. Listen, God is the object of our faith. 
God is where our faith rests. Lo primero que vemos en Romanos 4, 17 es la, la respuesta a la pregunta, ¿dónde está uh, anclada, dónde está clavada la fe de Abraham? La fe de Abraham está clavada al, al Dios de la palabra. What am I telling you tonight? I'm telling you that a lot of people have faith in the wrong object. The object of our faith must always be God. Abraham didn't worship his promises. He didn't worship God's intentions or revealed goals or even God's covenants. He worshiped God. La fe de Abraham no estaba en en la, las promesas de Dios sino en el Dios de la promesa dice que el Dios quien él le creó and this is important because a lot of people have faith but it's in the wrong object and friends faith in the wrong object cannot bring you into the promises of God a lot of some people actually worship faith and there are a lot of people as I mentioned on Sunday they have very sincere faith they have a lot of faith, but they have faith in the wrong thing. I know people who are parts of other uh, world religions who are very sincere in their faith. But see, their faith is in the wrong object. It's like climbing a ladder all the way to the top and then discovering that the ladder was leaning on the wrong wall. That's what's going on when your faith is not in God. When your faith is in something other than God, you're going to get to the top of that system of religion and discover you're leaning up against the wrong wall. And so it's important then that our faith be as Abraham's faith was in God and God himself. La fe de Abraham estaba en Dios. Hay muchos que tienen una fe equivocada. Tienen fe grande y tienen fe sincera, pero en otra cosa, no, no en Dios. En una religión, en una idea, en una filosofía, o quizá aún en su propia fe, y al, al pasar el tiempo se dan cuenta que tienen una escalera en contra de la pared equivocada. Y están subiendo, subiendo, pero subiendo en la, el lado equivocado. Entonces es importante saber que nuestra fe no está en nuestra fe, sino que nuestra fe está en Dios. Listen, our faith is not in faith. Say amen somebody. Our faith is in God. A lot of times, if you listen to some of the preaching that gets uh, preached or taught on Christian television in particular, it's all about faith. And it is all about faith. I teach you that. But only that faith which is on God. Where God is the object, he's the centerpiece of your life. Why? Because listen, sometimes our expectations, we build expectations around what we think God said. Or what we think God meant. Or how we thought God would do it. Has God ever done something in your life different than you thought he would do it? Every day, Pastor. Right? Well, listen. If your faith is in God, then it doesn't matter how he does it. At the end of the day, you're celebrating God. Because it was never about the thing. It was about him. But when your faith is in how he's going to do it or what he's going to do or it's in anything else, then you're disappointed because it didn't come the way you expected. And so God wants us to put our faith, our confidence, our assurance in him. 
God, uh, Abraham was uh, believing in the, in the presence of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Listen, Abraham's faith was in God to the extent that he understood God can bring something out of nothing. God can create something out of zero. Nobody else can do that. All right, second factor of faith is that faith is rooted in what God has said. Número dos, el siguiente factor de la fe es que la fe está arraigada en lo que Dios ha dicho. I want you to say this out loud with me, all right? Because this one's important. Faith is rooted in what God has said. Where is what God has said documented? The Bible, the Word of God. ¿Dónde está documentado lo que Dios ha dicho? En la Biblia. En donde la fe tiene su raíz en lo que Dios ha dicho. And tonight I, wanna, I want us to take a little time with this because I think it is very important and I constantly encourage you to do this. But tonight I want to kind of pick a little deeper because I want you to know the word of God. I want you to have the word of God in your spirit, in your heart, in your system. Because if your faith isn't rooted in what God has said, you will very, it'll be very unlikely for you to see the fulfillment of God's promises in your life. Listen, God is not obligated to fulfill anything that he has not said. Dios no está obligado a hacer ninguna cosa que él no ha dicho. But you know, we have a lot of things in our minds that we think God said. So I want us to be uh, thinking about that for just a moment because our faith needs to be in what God has revealed. Listen, uh, if you go through the book of, of Hebrews, chapter 11, that's the big faith chapter. It says, by faith Noah prepared an ark. What does that mean? That means that God told Noah to build an ark, and then he built one. Noah didn't just wake up one morning and say, you know what, I'm going to build an ark, and hopefully God will use it. But that's how a lot of things get done in the Christian world. We do what we think is right, and then we want God to bless it. We say, I'm going to marry this person, hopefully God will bless this. God's not obligated to bless what he didn't command. I know this is hard teaching. You don't want this teaching. All right? But his, this, this is important because many of you are mad at God because he didn't bless something that you wanted him to bless, but he was not obligated to bless because he didn't instruct you to do it. So maybe you got into some debt, and now you're saying, Lord, you got to get me out of this debt. He said, I didn't get you in it, son. I'll help you. But I'm not obligated to do anything that I didn't say. So is it important to know what God said? Yes, absolutely. So I want, to, I want us to look at, this is five, five ways or five, um, five things we have to know in order to claim a promise from God. All right? First of all, is the promise in the word of God? That's the first thing you got to look at. Is is what I'm believing in God's word. 
Lo primero que tengo que hacer, si, estamos, si vamos a proclamar o reclamar una promesa de parte de Dios, es que tengo que saber si esa promesa está o no está en la palabra de Dios. Some of my, my life verses, verses I pray and try to live every single day, are the promises of God. One of them is this. In the book of James chapter 1, it says, If any man lacks wisdom, he should ask of God, who giveth freely and without reproach, and it shall be given unto him. And no man who is double-minded should expect to receive anything from God. So, I look at that verse and say, all right, any man. That's right here. Needs wisdom. Bingo. What should he do? Ask of God who gives freely and without reproach. And he shouldn't be double-minded. Yes, no, maybe, I believe, I don't believe. So what do I see there? I see there in a promise that's in the word and I can proclaim that over my life. Because I'm any man, I need wisdom, God promised wisdom, and I can walk in that promise and say, all right, Lord, I have this knot in my life, I need you to help me untie it. What are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? And God says, when you come to me, according to my word, I'm going to give you the answer that you're looking for. Because you're going to him with what is in his word. Number two, does that word, does that promise... Honor the context of Scripture. Segundo principio aquí sobre las promesas de Dios es que si la promesa que usted está creyendo honra el contexto de la Escritura. Does what you believe honor the context of the Scripture? Now, this is not a word we hear a whole lot about, but I want you to be aware of this, that the Scripture has a context. And literally that word context It's real simple. The word con, you think about Spanish, what does con mean? With. And then text is the text. So context literally means with the text. That means what comes with the text. That's the context. El contexto es dos palabras ahí. Con es lo que viene con algo y el texto. Entonces para, para proclamar una promesa, usted Usted tiene que saber el contexto. To receive a promise, you need to understand the context to know if it's actually a promise that I can apply to my life. All right, now I'll give you an example. If Sarah was 90 years old when she conceived Isaac, that's a blessing, okay? That is a miracle from God. But should every 90-year-old woman expect to have a baby? Well, can't God do it? Yeah, we're getting Pentecostal now, right? <laughs> yeah, God can do it. But see, if, if that 90-year-old woman takes that out of context, she may never have her baby. And she's going to be mad at God because she's going to say, Lord, it was in your word. But see, that's a specific promise to a specific woman. However, there's a principle there that I can apply to me and you and everybody else, even if we're not Sarah, and that is that God can fulfill his promise even when it's too late. That principle we can all apply to our faith. Am I making some sense? 
All right, so if, if I go out to your house tomorrow and I see you building an ark, I say, Pastor, I am preparing an ark because things are getting bad, Pastor. Things are getting real bad, and I just want us to be ready. All right, this is going to be the Kingsway Ark. And everybody, when the flood comes, is from Kingsway. We're going to come in this ark. I say, buddy, I'm not coming in that ark. <laughs> See, you got to fit that promise into the context. Now, there's some principles we can draw from that, and that being that it's, a, it's important to obey God even when you seem ridiculous. But if you go build an ark tomorrow, it's going to be a great tourist attraction, but it's not necessarily going to have God's funding. Am I making sense? All right, so it's important to know the context of the Scripture. And this is so important for us as believers because we often quote the Bible to other people and we're not even quoting our own book right. So I want to, I want to mention some Bible verses to you. All right, let me, let me uh, read these to you and you tell me what, what you think. Have you ever heard this Bible verse? God helps those who help themselves. You heard that Bible verse? Guess what? It's not in the Bible. I have that on my refrigerator. It's not in the Bible. Okay? Say amen. That's not in the Bible. So don't quote that to people. Because it's not in the scripture. Dice algunos, Dios ayuda el que se ayuda solo. Bueno, eso no está en la Biblia. Y si usted dice eso está en la Biblia, está equivocado y está equivocando a otros. Another one. This too shall pass. Ever heard that? Yes? Not in the Bible. Okay. I quote that sometimes too, but it's not in the Bible. Number three. God won't give you more than you can handle. Have you heard that? Guess what? It's not in the Bible. Now, what the Bible does say is that um, when you are tempted, the Lord will not suffer you to be tempted beyond that which you are able, but will with the temptation provide a door of escape. All right, that's what the Bible does say. But the phrase that God will never put more on you than you can, uh, you can handle, or what does it say? Than you can handle, yeah. It's not in the Bible, and it's not even necessarily true, because how many of you have ever been in a spot where God put more on you than you could handle? And guess who handled it? God handled it. Listen, if there weren't things in our life that we couldn't handle, we wouldn't need God. There are a whole lot of things in my life I can't handle. Say amen, somebody. All right, here's another one. God works in mysterious ways. You heard that one, right? What book of the Bible is it in? It's not in the Bible. Well, where did that come from? That came from a hymn. Well, hymns are in the Bible too, right? No, hymns are in the Bible. Well, is that true? Yes, God does work in mysterious ways. But... Don't confuse that with a text, a scripture. Because sometimes our sayings are true biblically, but they're not necessarily in the scripture. Um, another one. We are all God's children. In the Bible? No. 
Not in the Bible. You can't say we're all God's children. Why? Jesus told the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. The only ones who are children of God are those who confess Christ as Lord. So you will be in vain calling God Father if you haven't confessed Christ as Lord. All right, here's another one. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Good advice, but not in the Bible. An apple a day keeps the doctor away. No, that's not in the Bible either. <laughs> that one just came to me. That's poor Richard's almanac. Okay. Here's another one. God wants you to be happy. Is that in the Bible? No, it's not in the Bible. But doesn't God want me to be happy? Mm. It depends. Because if you're not doing his will, let me ask you this. If your children are deliberately disobeying you, do you want them to be happy? No. That's why you apply a paddle to the seat of their pants. To make them unhappy so that they will obey you. So sometimes God will, the Bible said, the way of the wayward is hard. God will make sin hard. He'll make the sinner's way hard and unhappy so that they can come to him and find joy. Because look, at the end of the day, there might be some seasons that you went through that could have been avoided if you had obeyed God. But he let you go through unhappiness so that you would say, wait a minute, I need God's way. All right, I can tell this is hard teaching tonight. Here's another one. Follow your heart. Is that in the Bible? You guys are smart. That's the worst advice, isn't it? Follow your heart. You know what the Bible actually says? The, heart, the, the Bible says this, the heart is desperately wicked. Above all things. Doesn't say follow your heart, because if you follow your heart, you're gonna go to hell. You gotta you have to follow the word. All right, you with me? All right. This is in the Bible, so let me see if you can quote it with me. Money is the root of all evil. Is that in the Bible? All good. This is a good congregation. 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all evil. See, I just took the, the lid off of somebody. He's like, wait, I don't have to hate money? Well, as long as you don't love it, God don't have a problem with you having money. That's good news, somebody. God doesn't have a problem with you making money. What he has a problem with is you making money more important than him. The love of money is the root of all evil. And really it's saying all sorts of evil. All right. Let's go to another one. This one I want you to open your Bibles for. We're already in Romans. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. Often quoted scripture here. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. Have you heard that? Can I claim that Bible verse? Well, let's find out. All right? We're going to check the context to see whether or not 
we can claim the Bible verse as a promise from God for our life. Are you there? Romans 8, 28. Here we go. Here's some good news for you. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who what? And what else? To those who are called according to his purpose. Notice, in order to be able to claim this Bible verse, you need to do two things. What are they? Love God and be called according to his purpose. Look, if you are a renegade against God, if you are disobeying his word, if you are rebelling against him, you can't say all things are going to work out for me. They're not. God will make sure they don't. It's getting real quiet in here now. Because what does it say? What's with the text? Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So this is what you be saying. You should be saying, do I love God? Check. Am I called according to his purpose? Check. Guess what? I can claim this Bible verse. It's a promise to, to me from God because I'm walking in love with God. I am walking according to his purpose. Now, this verse, furthermore, if you look at the context, the context of this verse is the sanctification of the believer. And so it's not just saying that things are going to work out in your life. That's true. But God is saying that he will use all the things that happen in your life to make you more like Jesus. To sanctify you. So that when you get that flat tire on the way to the prom, you know, when you have to get out there with your high heels and fix a tire, all those bad things going on, God says, I'm going to use this to sanctify you, to make you more like Christ, and cause all things to work together for your good. All right, here's another one. You guys all know this one. Philippians 4.13, what does it say? For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in the Bible. It's good news, isn't it? Well, let's see. Can I claim this Bible verse as a promise from God? All right. Well, here's the thing. If I go and sign up for the NBA tomorrow. Wow. That's very little faith in the house tonight. Like, wow. <laughs> Okay, and I, and I say, well, Lord, I'm going to claim this Bible verse. I can do all things through Christ. I can dunk that basketball. Why are you laughing? It's just not a funny moment. I don't know why we're laughing. Well, look, what is the context? Paul says in verse 11, not that I speak from want or have learned to be content in whatever circumstance, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am uh, I'm in. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him, who strengthens me. So what are the all things he's talking about? 
every circumstance. What are the circumstances he lays out? Having to live with humble means and knowing how to prosper. How many of you have ever had to live with humble means? How many of you have ever had to prosper? What does humble means mean? It means beans and rice. Tortillas. As long as you have the tortillas, you're, you're in good company. I'm talking about ramen noodle. One ramen for five family members. That's humble means. All right, and then there's that other side of life where sometimes you get a bonus and life kicks in your direction and you're prospering. Paul says, I have done it both. I have been humble and I have prospered. How many of you have had both? You tasted it both, haven't you? Paul says, I have learned to be content in every circumstance. So when I am prospering, I don't think I'm better than everybody else. And when I'm, when I'm in humble circumstances, I don't think God's punishing me. I just learned to ride the roller coaster of life. And to learn to be content. He said, I, have, I know the secret of being full and being hungry. You know that being full is just as uncomfortable as being hungry? How many of you have ever eaten too much? Oh, I'm so full. I got to go lay down on the couch and pass out for a couple hours. Paul says, I know what it's like to be full. And I know what it's like to be hungry. I've been in places in the world where people, where I have met children who've never, never once been full. Some of, some of us haven't been full since lunch. Right? But there's places that, where they've never been full. Paul says, I know both sides. To be full and to be hungry, to have abundance and to suffer need. Now, he tells us, I can do all things through Christ strengthens me. That means that every circumstance of life, I can count on God's strength in that circumstance. All right, so if I go to the NBA tomorrow and I haven't, I haven't practiced, I haven't worked out, I haven't grown a foot, I can't really count on saying this verse and expect God's promise to come and be fulfilled in my life. However, if the NBA calls me tomorrow and says, Pastor Isaac, we need you to come and be a chaplain to one of our teams, I can do all things through Christ. And so next time they put a filet mignon in front of you, you just say, I can do all things through Christ. Because he's talking about circumstances. So I want you to know that because then I want you to read down a little bit further. Here's another one we love to quote. Verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How many of you have heard that? Yeah, that's such a good one. I love to quote that. Let's quote it together. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, let's understand the context. Go up a little bit. Look at verse 15. What was Paul talking about in verse 11? What's he talking about? Circumstances, right? Verse 15, he says, You yourself also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, 
after I have left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. What does that mean? Let's just put it in real plain English. Paul says, when I left Macedonia to come and preach to you, none of the churches gave me an offering. Okay, that's what he's talking about. And you know that if a preacher in that day and today, when a preacher doesn't receive an offering, if, you, if we have an evangelist come through town and he doesn't receive an offering, he's got no pay for the week. So Paul says, between Macedonia and Philippi, or when I left Macedonia, no one shared with me with uh, an offering. For even in Thessalonica, listen now, underline this, you sent a gift. Underline you sent a gift. That's in verse 16. More than once for my needs. Now he says, I do not seek the gift itself. That means I don't need your offering. But I seek the benefit or the profit which increases to your account. So Paul says, when you give an offering, there's an increase to your account. Isn't that strange? You give something away and God increases what you gave away. It's a blessing. But I have received everything in full and have abundance. Underline this. I am amply supplied having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, underline what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. All right. Now, three things there we underline. He says, twice you sent a gift. The other time he says, you amply supplied. So now he says, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Who's Paul talking to? Who's he talking to? The Philippians and specifically which ones? The givers. You notice that? So can you claim this promise if you're not a giver? No. How many of you are givers? Yeah, so if you're a giver, you can say, God will supply all of my needs. Why? Because God's not going to violate the principle of sowing and reaping. If you sow, you reap. If you don't sow, you don't reap. It's, it's real simple. When I was growing up, they used to pray for the offering. They would say, Lord, bless those who gave and those who didn't give. I mean, why would he do that? If if his commitment is that he's going to bless the tither and the giver, then the non-tither and the non-giver cannot expect the same blessings. So listen, whenever you want to claim a Bible promise, you need to know, is this context talking about me? Am I able to receive this? Number three, and this is, will this promise or does this promise honor God? Does it glorify Christ? Listen, this goes along with the, the fourth one. Is it consistent with God's will for my life? And number uh, five, are, am I walking in the will of God? Right? If I want to claim a promise from God, I'm going to tie all these three together so we can wrap up. Number one, is that promise honoring to God? Is it fulfilling 
or is it bringing glory to God? Am I saying, Lord, I want a, the biggest house in Beeville so that people will know how awesome I am. Well, that's not glorifying God. Say amen, somebody. Amen. When you claim a promise, God's going to answer that promise if it's glorifying to him. If it's going to bring him fame. It's going to bring him glory. Then we see here, number five, number four, is it consistent with God's will for my life? So look, a real, real simple example. If you're married, you cannot pray for God to give you another spouse. Why? It's not according to God's will. So stop. If you're, I'm not just, just. If you're praying for somebody who's already married to be your spouse, stop it. Stop it. I've heard, uh, I've heard women who will come up to their pastor and not hear, praise the Lord, and they'll say, Pastor, I believe it's God's will for you to leave your wife and marry me. No way, Jose. Okay, you can say that is not in the Bible. It's not according to the will of God. And God loves you, but he doesn't love you so much he's going to break his will or violate his word in order to meet a promise or a desire in your life. What, what you have the right to claim is when it's according to the will of God. That promise is now something I can pray for. Following that is the question, am I walking in the will of God? Because, like we mentioned before, if we're not walking by the will of God, we're not walking in love with God, we can't expect things to work out. God has seen to it that your life outside of his will is not going to work out. Because he wants to draw you to himself. What would have happened if God blessed you in your sin? Would you be here tonight? Would you know Christ? That's why God loved you, but he couldn't bless you in your sin. Even though some of us got some blessings, thank God he was merciful to us, even in our sin. But look, when you look back at it, you see now the way God is blessing your life. You realize that when you walk according to his word, according to his will, the tap of God's blessing is open over your life. You can, you can say with Paul, I've learned to be content with every circumstance I'm in. So we notice then that I've only gotten the two factors of faith. But the first one is your faith has to be in God. Second thing is it has to be rooted in what God has actually said. And when it's in the word... You can take it to the bank. 